Welcome everybody to episode number 35 of the Light Shed Podcast. I'm Brandon Ross with Rich Greenfield and Walter Pisick and the lyrical stylings of Flavor Flav, who, um, <laughs> who I think is no longer in Public Enemy, actually. I think he got kicked out last year. Not sure, though. But uh, dealing with a lot of hype in the markets, a lot of hype in the video game world, a lot of hype in general, deals that we've looked at that uh, when you start scratching below the surface, um, you know, not much there. You have something in mind specifically? Well, you know we're going to talk about cyberpunk. So let's do it. Uh, you want... Uh, okay. We're... We're not going to give our fans any banter out of the game. No, we're just going to talk about the 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 the, the shit show of the week. I mean, for by <laughs> by far. I mean, there's no other way to describe this. I mean, it was removed from the from the the app store. Yes, and Sony is now offering refunds to any to anyone who wants them. I'll give you a little. How bit much did this of, cost? Of my, like, how much did people spend on this game? Like, just what, how much were you paying only, one time? This is only a sixty-dollar game. This isn't like a, a an elevated price seventy-five-dollar um, or seventy-dollar. Sixty is uh, so pretty P expensive. PS Five game, but this was the most hyped video game in a long time. I downloaded it right when it came out last week, and I played it for. I don't know, probably collectively two, three hours, at which point the game became stuck and I could not move at all. And I tried everything. I tried to stop it, turn it off, leave. And the only way that I could get to play again was to start completely from scratch, which was a huge pain in the ass because there's a lot of dialogue at at the beginning of the game and it moves a little bit slowly out of the gate so i got pissed off and i'm probably going to take that refund hasn't this game been in development for multiple years yeah of course i mean this so is does, has been going to on the for, point where it for, launches forever everyone's been waiting for this how does it get to the point where it launches and it just functionally doesn't even <laughs> work i don't understand like don't they have tests that occur <laughs> prior yeah, I, to a launch on multiple I, machines i guess they weren't done debugging it and there was a lot of pressure probably from cd project investors on the one hand and players who have been waiting for this for so long to just get the fucking game out already as you said it's been a long time in development and it simply just wasn't done and not done to the point where you can kind of like in a multiplayer game just patch some things, fix. I mean, the game well, literally just stops and you you can't play it anymore um, or it resets on people. Just not so. So if you were to think about who was playing this game, the type of person that was playing Cyberpunk or would have been excited, who's probably the biggest beneficiary? Like what other games or game makers do you think benefit the most from this being a total Q4 disaster? Yeah, I mean, well, it is holiday time, Rich, right? So it's a, it's a competitive time for gifting, and I would say right. So what all, are you buying all, instead? All, like, what do you the, think the biggest? All the made all the major games are probably going to benefit from this because it was going to be a you know a pretty large market share taker. It's a it's still number one. I think it's number two still in buying 
before they shut it down in in the PlayStation Store on Steam, it was at the top. So everybody else, I guess, will kind of benefit from this disaster. Whether it's I don't know, you name it, Call of Duty, FIFA. I mean, this was a pretty broad game I don't, that people I have been waiting years for. I still don't understand. Right. Like, so who gave the money to develop this? Because they well, it's a public company. Well. Okay, well, someone's going to need to ask pretty serious questions. This is not something that you develop three months and then you launch and like, this is like, that's some crazy ass shit for something to literally not work. <laughs> I mean, it works and it's no, there, fun for a little this while. Story, it, okay, I'm guessing that this story is going to get pretty ugly because yeah, what I, you've just, what I you've basically described right. is someone forced something out that no work had actually been done on. And people have funded that, and that means it's, it's going to be It's not no work. Story. I think it's it's a very complicated game. We'll see. And I think there was so much work done on it that the pressure was to just get it the fuck out already. Yeah. And I, it had been delayed multiple times before. And look at the stock price for for CD Projekt. It's. Uh, I think it's down like 15% today, but it's been down, I don't know, 40% in the last several months or something. So they are paying the price one way or another. Talking about things that are getting delayed uh, or should have, I guess that should have been delayed. Now something that's actually getting delayed, the Roblox IPO is not happening, Brandon. This was, well, you were, you were more excited. Eventually. Yeah, I know, but you were reading the you were reading the S one, and I don't think I've ever seen you so excited for a company to be public that you could write more about than Roblox. And uh, you know, I, it's this is sort of a, a pretty shocking development. But I mean, maybe it speaks to your um, well, to our intro we, music. Well, <laughs> exactly. Well, we we talked about um, the problems in the IPO market last week. And the fact that things like Airbnb were being priced and then up 112% on the first day of trading. And this is the first time I can remember IPOs being pulled because the market was almost too hot. And right, too <laughs> rather hot. rather than it the market being too cold uh, to, to price an IPO. And look, Roblox is going to come back and try and make sure that it's things are properly priced so you don't see that gigantic pop that essentially gives them more dilution than they should have and to protect for their them. employees so that the employees um, aren't locked up going into the IPO and watching the stock fly with the potential because it's an overhyped market I know, but, but um, so, not, so, not so, to be able yeah, but, to sell. But I'm going to play devil's screwed. advocate. But I'm going to play devil's advocate. Like, Why not just do what Spotify did? Like, Just list List your shares I don't think, and let the I don't market think you, set the price. Like Roblox doesn't need the money. So like, why not just do exactly what Spotify did? Build your book, you know, and basically just allocate the share, you know, basically just go public that way. List the shares. Look, we talked about this last week, right? In terms of CEOs not doing the proper job and, and whether investment banks are the right ways to go, right way to go public and how in 2020, you're having these doubling of pops and leaving money on the table. So look, Roblox is doing the right thing by waiting and rethinking this to understand where the proper, <clears throat> what the proper way to do this in the market.
Right. Maybe they will do a direct listing. That's a great point. Well, maybe this is just, hey, like this IPO thing is ridiculous. Why don't we just follow Daniel Ek? It seemed to work out pretty well for Spotify. They took no dilution. And what is it now? We're probably closing in on a triple, Brandon. So it's worked well not giving up that to public market investors for the for the team at Spotify, for sure. I'm not sure if um, Robox is wanting to raise money in addition or or not how important that is to them and if they could take advantage of raising money at you know a kind of an elevated valuation just as long as they don't leave money on the table and they could figure out a way so that their employees don't you know kind of get screwed by it so i don't know if a direct listing is a possibility here perhaps it is so the other big story this week was uh, we predicted a couple of weeks ago on the podcast that by Christmas Day, there would be uh, HBO Max on Roku. We thought that between having Wonder Woman going day and date to, uh, to HBO Max and theaters and then finding out a few days later that the entire Warner slate was going to be day and date on HBO Max, we just thought that there was no way this wasn't getting done. And uh, here we are this week. The deal got done. Both sides clearly claiming victory. I think investors on both sides claiming victory. There's two main takeaways in my mind. On the one side, Roku is getting ad inventory on the coming HBO Max ad-supported product. So there'll be a lower-priced version of HBO Max. Don't worry. The Game of Thrones prequels will not have ads, but there'll be some of the other content, the catalog content, will have ads if you want a lower price for HBO Max. And it's... Um, so that's going to be where Roku claims victory is that they got a cut of that ad inventory. HBO Max is going to claim victory because the channel store, and actually the tweet that we have up on the screen, it says Roku was the only TV platform that didn't carry HBO Max. AT&T struck a deal to put HBO Max on Amazon Fire devices and the Prime Video channels in November. That's actually not true. What HBO did is they're leaving the channel store, meaning HBO Max will only be available as a direct app and eventually the Amazon Prime's channels version of HBO, or sorry, the Roku version of, of of Prime channels will disappear. And so that you'll you'll really end up with over the course of the next 12 months, the only app that will exist, my guess is, is something called HBO Max. And I wouldn't be surprised to see the name of the apps ultimately changed to just HBO. I mean it really this seems like a placeholder HBO, over the next not HBO months. Max. I think so. I I think ultimately it's just one service and there's content that you know of as historic HBO and there is, you know, new content that fills okay, it out. I thought we had this whole discussion before about how you wanted to preserve the HBO brand with a certain quality of content. So now we're going back on that. I mean, I don't still, still don't understand why they call it HBO Max, but so what what is it? What are you two questions? What do you think this means for the numbers and where do you who do you think ultimately had the leverage like who who end, ended up bending in terms of getting this deal finally done i mean christmas is next week um, obviously wonder woman's going to be on there that seemed like that was probably roku bending what are your thoughts i think they each gave a little my guess is you know the give on the advertising side was probably easier for hbo to go given how nascent it is I mean, Peacock, it's all about advertising. So it must have been very painful for NBC to give up a chunk of ad inventory to Roku earlier in the year. My guess is it was a less big deal. I'm not convinced that the ad-supported piece of HBO Max is going to be a major deal. I don't think people really want HBO content interspersed with ads. And so I think it's going to be a tougher sell 
to have an ad-supported version. But look, there's no doubt, as we see with most carriage deals, there probably was a meeting in the middle. Both sides sort of needed this deal to get done. Come but on, I don't man. think it was. Take, make a stand. There's no. There's not a meeting in the middle. Who, who had the look, leverage? I think by waiting. I think by waiting, my guess is is that HBO got a with the type of content they're bringing better to bear. They, they got a better deal than they ever would have gotten doing this back six months ago. Okay. And then but what they do you think? gave. But they gave. There, there, they, there was they a, gave a some ad inventory. They gave right? ad inventory. They what about numbers? And what about numbers? Does this mean big, bigly numbers? Well, oh, for- sorry. This is actually a big deal for HBO Max in terms of numbers. So, you know, we've been talking about how as of the end of last quarter, 8.6 of 29 million people had activated their HBO Max. Now, part of that was well, up, they, to they on, in the la- up to 12.6 in the latest data point, probably going that to 13, was after, after Amazon. Right. Correct. So that was after yep. Amazon got done. Now it's probably going almost instantly up to 16 or 17 million. And you probably close that gap to, you know, 30. My guess is over the next few months, you're getting to 30. Like you're, you're going to get there very quickly now. But that's basically a rehash of what you just said, which is that all HBO will be HBO Max and then they'll pull the Max and then it'll just be what HBO is. And that HBO is a very different thing than what HBO used to stand for, which yep. was ultimately premium. Now you have an ad supported element, which is anything but premium, and you have content that is not the type of content that you were used to seeing in HBO. But such is life when you're playing in the Netflix world and you want to be a broad reach service. On our Light Shed Live, did they talk about wanting to continue to maintain the premium um, branding of HBO? I think what they're going to have to do is just call HBO, make HBO Originals sort of the the high end version of um, of HBO that's sitting within the the broader HBO. So if something is branded HBO Originals, you know it has that super high quality that you're used to getting from HBO, and then there will just be every other. Um, every other show that's that's on there and a lot of library in addition. So I'm currently reading the book Untethered by Ivan Seidenberg, the former CEO of Verizon. And when they elected to come up with their name, it's a corporate name, they hired three separate management consultants to come up with Verizon, which is Veritas, Truth, and Horizon. Uh, apparently, AT&T did not do the same in terms of coming up with this branding strategy. It's still, I, I understand exactly what you're saying, Brandon, but it, it uh, and I know I'm being redundant. It's just, from what it's just a very tough needle to thread, right? Because you have to look at there's a there's just they're not congruent. The idea of having a very broad service and of having um, that super high quality HBO brand, because there's not that much content that you could make that was at that supreme HBO quality before. And it, people it's, are like it's flight attendant though. And that's threat. an HBO max. Like could, could, could flight. That's, a, that's a, a, that's a, a max show, not an HBO show. Of, like why not? It also a, got like a 70 on Metacritic. It's a, it, you know, why not have a different brand? And then just, again, you have HBO as the premium brand under a larger brand. Like, you know, it's fine to have sub channels. Like, that's what yeah. I was saying about HBO Originals. They yeah. need to. They need to really flex that HBO. Maybe they should just call it Max. 
And it just goes back to Cinemax, which is why it was called HBO Max in the first place. Maybe they should just talk. Maybe they should have talked to Susie at Encantos, which is how we got our, you know, our light shed brand name. They should have just had a branding (laughs) session. That is true. That is true. That one one hour of arguing back and forth and none of us could still agree on a name. But that was just like, okay, we're none of us are offended by that. Let's go with it. (laughs) <laughs> so I'm going to call an audible. I'm going to call an audible and bring in our peacock slide because I think it fits perfectly because we're talking about HBO launching ads. And the difference is everything that's on HBO when they launch an ad supported version, every all of that content is going to be the same. Like there's going to be the only difference is going to be a lower price point. Um, what's interesting here is that there is actually a version of Peacock that you don't have to pay for that you get the first two seasons of The Office. Think Pluto, think Tubi, meaning free content, no cost to subscribing. Just enter your you know username, email address, and you can access the first two seasons like of Peacock. But then if you want the whole the whole thing, seasons three through nine, then you've got to pay $5 a month if you want ads. Or if you want Peacock without ads, then you have to pay $10 a month. So is this, is, this, is this a consumer-friendly strategy to try and no, keep churn no, this low? Is not Which consumer. churn is their number one problem in, in any of these services, and this is what they're going to fucking do? Okay. It's just confusing. It's just confusing. Yeah. It's just simplicity yes didn't simplicity. anyone learn anything from steve jobs or reed hastings <sighs> it just kills me how it's they overly complicate you know to me just put it all in one place pick a place and put it all there but just to this to is like my epl problems like it's on it's on the nbc sports app some of the yes. games the other games are on peacock and like everyone's trying to be too cute with these services i mean you know even when we, it's funny, we were discussing Discovery Plus the, the, a couple of weeks ago. You're going to have the 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 regular 90 Day Fiance is going to be on TLC, the cable network, but the spinoffs and back stuff, other content is going to be on Discovery Plus. Like they want you to basically Terrible. go back and forth between both worlds. And it's a very you know, like it'd be like if Mandalorian season one was over there, it's but terrible. Mandalorian season two was over here. It's just it's confusing versus just putting it all in one place. Yeah. That's all. While, while That's, Netflix just sits uh, back, laughs, and grows. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, exactly. That that <laughs> was it. where I was going with this. Yeah, I mean, at least Disney seems like they're really moving hard into into the direction of of really simplifying things and making Disney Plus sort of the first place for content. But even they're not there yet fully, well, as we've discussed. Yes. So like, hold on, Rich. Is there any? Is yeah. there any? In this case, like this is where I'm kind of at, a, at, you know, a shortcoming in terms of not understanding your crazy media world. Is there anything in terms of the licensing that does this or is this they have the full ability to make it simple and they're just electing not to? They're taking nine seasons off of Netflix. It lives on Netflix, all nine seasons ad free. And then and they're saying and we're going to slicing it to drive viewership. So there's no excuse for this, this strategy. Okay. Yeah, they're paying who's, who's for it. They can do whatever the makes, fuck they want. Who 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 makes this decision at Comcast? Which, which specific person or group? Look, Jeff? I think they're. I want names. Oh, but look, I, I think. <laughs> but I think in this case, this is sort of the debate of: Are they trying to drive a free ad-supported service, oh, I or are they the trying concept. to have an SVOD service? Yeah, and they're okay. trying to do a little bit of both. And it just sort of seems suboptimal for the consumer. Good luck. I love that. Uh, so Disney, just to Brandon's point, there's a story out in the wrap this week that Marvel is essentially exploring 
for all of their future Marvel films. So things that haven't been shot yet or gone into production yet, basically changing the talent deal so that they're written legally so that they can go straight to Disney plus versus go to theaters or be day and date, things like that. And so while this is about future films, we can't help think about the fact that, and we wrote a piece about this this week, that it, it sort of just feels like Disney's getting ready for, you know, to move black widow, which is their may film to Disney plus maybe day and date uh, with theaters. And the reality is we know theaters are not going to be back at anywhere near full capacity by May. Well, Disney clearly didn't want to get into the shit show of that Warner brothers that we talked about last week on the podcast with, you know, Nolan's upset and all these directors and talent is upset. Disney clearly didn't want to get into that, but it really feels like Disney's moving down the exact same path and just isn't ready yet to tell everyone. Of course, they're probably thrilled that what Jason did, and now right. now they're just basically going to do it the in their pain. way. It's the same. It's the same. Yeah. They're going and to they're the, the good place. guys, right? Yeah, <laughs> and they'll slowly do it, but they'll end up at the exact. My guess is they end up at the exact same. I don't place. even know how slow it's going to be, Rich. Honestly. By the way, this weekend I do intend to watch Tenet on HBO Max for free. Well, other than my HBO subscription, which is included into my AT and T Unlimited package. Wait, 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 I thought I didn't think Tenet was on HBO. I thought it was just available for purchase right now. I think it's on. Yeah, it's no, it's it's. it's oh, well, fuck that. I'm I think not, you I'm have to paying. pay. I think you got to pay for it. Well, right. but wait. Well, then I'm not watching Tenet this weekend for free, and I'm not going to pay for it either. I'll just keep binging uh, on my uh, Star Wars. Tenet, I'm, Tenet I'm sure is twenty dollars on, on BitTorrent or something. Well, <laughs> so when do I get when do I get that for free, Rich? Christmas. So. Yeah, it's twenty dollars on your Apple TV right now. If you want to buy Tenet no, to watch for a few I hours, sworn I saw that. In the no, HBO you're gonna love app. this. It should probably be available on HBO or HBO Max um, as part of you know. Remember, it goes through the sequential release patterns. Figure four months from now. Oh, well, I'll probably be not interested in watching it by then. So maybe yeah, you'll have something right. else to watch by then. <laughs> it's the beauty of of movie industry windowing that is just you know the beauty of Chris Nolan. Rather than everybody binging on his film for the holidays, you'll be watching Wonder Woman instead. Yeah, and, and more uh, Star Wars content. Yeah, exactly. Just a complete loss on his part. Okay, let's talk about, um, you know, we had this deal, Brandon. We were talking about sort of take two, getting Codemasters as a big deal, and now they're not getting it? Or is this, is this done and over? I don't know if it's done and over, but um, as the... Um, as the tweet says, games giant EA gate crashes 725 million quid. Is that right? Pounds Close instead of pounds, enough. quid. Yes. Like <laughs> Codemasters takeover. Um, so the impression that I had gotten about this Codemasters take two deal, the original deal, was that it was cultivated over a long period of time, maybe a year. And that originally Take-Two had offered cash and Codemasters wanted wanted stock and wanted to be able to participate in the, in the upside. upside in the upside from the deal. So I was floored when this came across Twitter and Bloomberg and all of a sudden EA was paying all cash and outbidding them pretty much out of nowhere. Now, I'm not surprised that EA wants this asset. It fits with their sports portfolio also, but just the way it was presented to us versus the current reality um, is is a little bit different. And I guess the shareholders at Codemasters just wanted cash or want cash despite management and I guess the board originally not wanting 
it, it really creates that. a lot more. It, to, to, assuming this is over, Brandon, though, it leaves take two, which already was cash rich. It gives them a pretty big war chest to go do something, doesn't it? I mean, they've they've had the war chest. I think all the major North American publishers continue to build cash and continue to be under levered. It's just there aren't the sizable assets. Not that this is that sizable. I mean, you're talking about a billion dollars. Um, <clears throat> But they're they're not really out there to be had at this point. So I think you're just going to continue to see smaller studio acquisitions kind of tuck ins um, from all all of these publishers. But I I don't know that this sort of Codemasters deal is over with EA. We'll see if Take Two kind of comes back over the next short period of time. Walt, you want to talk about uh, T-Mobile? This tweet is from uh, Mike Dano at um, light reading now. Following his launch of standalone 5G, he says, T-Mobile's Neville Ray hopes to push the envelope further by launching carrier aggregation um, in 2021. That is about as euphemistic as and a, a positive spin on a tweet that I've seen in a while, uh, Mike. I'm not sure why. <laughs> what, what, what happened this week is T-Mobile um, effectively confirmed something that I've been all over for like the last month or so, which is the lack of carrier aggregation meaning taking two blocks of spectrum and using them together. The interesting thing is, um, so for T-Mobile, this just basically means they can't take their low band spectrum and and basically combine it with their mid band spectrum. The funny thing is, like for T-Mobile, it Which really means they have less overall spectrum, like the reach of their spectrum means is that less, when you see the 5G icon, it, actually in T-Mobile's case, it really doesn't mean that much because basically you're either going to be on their 5G coverage layer, which is going to be this thin layer of 600 megahertz, which actually is delivering yeah. decent speeds, or 2.5. They don't need to smash the low band and the mid band together. Why? Because they've got a thick junk of uh, of mid band that they got from the Sprint acquisition. What it's more relevant for is if there's no carrier aggregation for Verizon, that's a bigger problem because that 5G icon has a harder time then uh, delivering the speeds that you need to be competitive. So ultimately, what you're looking at is like, look, if you're getting 2.5 um, on the mid-band spectrum on T-Mobile, you're going to get the speeds. For Verizon, you're basically going to have to wait until this, C- this to like get the C-band spectrum, which is at auction now. Those numbers are up past 20 billion. So I think the consensus estimate, this is 20 billion total plus another 13 for retuning expenses. So the consensus estimate was that Verizon was going to spend less than $20 billion on spectrum. It looks like it's going to be higher than that. Our estimate was twenty-eight billion, you know, which is probably ten billion above consensus. But you're gonna—they're gonna have to spend all that money, probably an extra ten billion dollars in the balance sheet, then build it out, and then it's going to come down to a, basically T-Mobile's two point five versus Verizon and possibly AT and T's um, C-band spectrum. But that's a battle that's not really occurring until twenty twenty-two, and in the interim. This carrier aggregation and all these these acronyms that Brandon loves to <laughs> loves to ask me about. Lo- I, loves to get confused. <laughs> it's 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 a bit it's a bit of a shit show um, in terms of what was what was promised and what's delivered. So I'm trying to like you know troll Qualcomm on on Twitter to see if they can actually respond to some of the issues that clearly originate with them and in, in some of the problems that that exist. Well, there's no better troll than you, Walt. I do my best. <laughs> You're the greatest. You know, and in terms of who the biggest beneficiary would be, you think? 
Uh, well, again, if T-Mobile has the 2.5, they, they've been slower in, in rolling it out. Um, but if by the second half of next year, they can get that spectrum built, that gives them an advantage over Verizon. Versus everybody uh, else. Who's, who's, you know, the Verizon comparable is millimeter wave. The problem with that spectrum, as we've talked about many, many times, is it's got limited coverage. And so, right. yeah, if you're in millimeter wave coverage for Verizon, what they're calling UW. So if you if you have a Verizon phone and you see UW on your screen, which I think Brandon actually sees in in uh, New Jersey, um, yeah, then yeah you've got great speeds. The problem is if he walks down the block um, to get a cup of coffee, then you know you potentially just drop off. So and what do you think the relative great. speed difference is? Like if T-Mobile had this up and running by the second half of twenty one versus he loses his UW, like what's the difference in speeds? I think you if you're in a UW or a millimeter wave. Uh, circle, you're always going to get better speeds because that's tons of spectrum, right? right. So, I don't th- in, in that in that scenario. But again, Verizon's strategy is not going to be, or it's going to be very difficult for them to take millimeter wave and give it coverage. They're going to have to get this CMAN spectrum and spend you know ten, twenty, you know twenty five billion dollars on it, and then deploy it um, in order to get comparable speeds in the breadth of areas that T-Mobile I think will be delivering. Uh, by the second half of next year. Look, I, I had over the weekend, I, we were at dinner at, in Greenwich outside with masks or not what we we're eating. And we were driving back through backcountry Greenwich. I was really surprised at how good T-Mobile's coverage has improved with 5G using this low band spectrum and, and the type of speeds we're getting. So what's happened is Verizon's kind of relied on this millimeter wave spectrum, this fiber strategy and AT&T and T-Mobile have caught up and are basically, a, 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 you know, momentarily or or have the opportunity to eclipse them and then Verizon can effectively fight back at some point when they get this C-band spectrum, which is, again, why you're seeing these prices so high. You maybe have DISH in there, probably have the cable operators bidding in there, and, and, and the auction, again, is north of $20 billion, probably closing in on 30 by the end of today. Let's talk about um, the sort of one of the interesting acquisitions of the week was uh, Reddit, which is still, you know, I think we talked about a few weeks ago on the podcast, yeah. still a relatively small company. I mean, like a hundred million of revenue, just really yeah, from a early... revenue standpoint, not necessarily oh. from the usage standpoint. Uh, look, we always talk about how so many kind of trends and data points and memes, like they start on on Reddit. Like Reddit is the source of so much of what happens in the gaming community. Yes, there's also sort of the seedy, uh, not safe for work side of Reddit, but there is a tremendous amount of of sort of sports, news, information, youth culture content that all sort of starts its life on Reddit. They announced this week they're buying a company called Dub Smash. Now, Dub Smash has been a long, a long time. It's actually sort of predated TikTok, but sort of the, the latest iteration over the last couple of years has been sort of replicating what musically which became TikTok in the US once it was bought by ByteDance this business dub smash was acquired by Reddit and it's interesting because it the one thing that Reddit has really lacked it really wasn't a video first application it really was more about text some pictures but it really wasn't about video content or ads obviously dub smash is essentially think of TikTok sorry think of dub smash as a more urban version of TikTok. One of the articles I was reading about the acquisition, I think it was in the journal, was that 75% of um, African-American black teens are on Dub Smash. And so there's all, there was actually a New York Times article about how some of the some of the biggest TikTok dance moves actually started on Dub Smash. And so I don't think this is a massive acquisition, but it's interesting in how this sort of could reposition Reddit to be far more video centric 
um, over the course of the next couple of years. And perhaps help them push towards an IPO. Yeah. I there's, mean, not a, there's not a meme that I can send uh, Zach, my high school kid, that he hasn't first seen on Reddit. <laughs> so maybe it can also. And I've been sending him stuff from TikTok. Oh, I've seen that on Reddit. I've seen it. So. Reddit is a, there's a tremendous amount of engagement. There's yep. something, I mean, it has the potential to be a very big business if they can figure out how to better monetize the engagement. They have youth culture. There's no doubt about it. Your son's story is, we hear that repeatedly. Well, I'm sure he doesn't use Dub Smash. Um, you know, some of the kids use, you know, TikTok. Um, obviously, yep. TikTok's great. So uh, that's probably an interesting one for them to do just to see if they can get adoption because Reddit's, I think, yep. used pretty broadly in the in that segment. We're actually, we're interviewing the CEO next week um, with some investors and it's going to be interesting to see sort of how is this being integrated? Like, is this going to be a part of Reddit or is it just leveraging the user base across the two apps? And I, I don't know the answer today. Got to comb through Reddit right now to see if Ben Simmons is getting traded or not, Walt. <laughs> I mean, you're right. I personally don't that? use Reddit, but like my kids <laughs> use it for all of those things, news and whatever and videos and memes and God knows what else. Brandon. I think I think Woj gets all his his uh, trades off of Reddit. Rich, you like to say that tw- that news breaks first on Twitter. Maybe maybe the same can be said for Reddit. <laughs> I, I think a lot of information before it even breaks on Twitter actually breaks on Reddit. It's really well, a I great can't place wait for to this find data This should be a great light shed live. It's, uh, no, it's not a light shed live, Walt. It's oh. a small group. It's meeting. a small group meeting. I'm oh, sorry. Well, only maybe for we'll our talk premium about it next week. subscribers. But we'll invite we'll you to join that one, Walt, because I think you'll enjoy that meeting. So yeah, we'll I'm have definitely joining that one. Uh, Brandon, you want to walk through what uh, Epic's doing? Sure, I can read it. Um, Epic Game Store now offers Spotify signaling App Store ambitions beyond just games. And I think it says it right there. Um, the Epic's Game Store has been up into till really this week. Um, just simply a place to get games into their through their launcher. And now they're expanding beyond that. Spotify is kind of the first app to do that. I think it makes sense. A lot of people listen to music when they play games. There's been um, Spotify actually has pointed out that a lot of music that came from games originally is is pretty popular on spotify as well i just think like the one thing we heard about the pandemic early on you know spotify mentioned that kind of where people were listening had changed a lot and that the car had dropped meaningfully i don't don't understand this the whole concept though like are people can't they can't first of all everyone knows what spotify is right i mean the market is fairly mature maybe it's not i don't know how do you not know that you can download this through your Chrome browser to your PC? Like, well, I don't understand. Well, how oh, no, no, no. Hold, hold on. S- signing up for, so if you want to sign up for Spotify, you can't do it on iOS anymore. Like they pulled themselves out iOS. of the app. This is, I thought, I thought this was a, um, it's on desktop. Yeah. Yeah. This is a desktop, right. but this right. is a way to sign up for Spotify without okay. having to pay the Apple tax or to pay the Google tax. And so it's a way to basically offer the service. But, why, at a lower but if price. I'm on my desktop, why couldn't I have just done that through my browser anyway? 
You could. It's this also, is just where you are. It's just if you're okay, living in the there, epic and world. And I know about Spotify. Who doesn't know about Spotify? Like, I'm going to discover <laughs> okay. Spotify because it's in the Epic Game Store. Let's yeah, let's fair. let's take a step back, though. Is there and, is there a market look that hasn't at been it, yet? Look at it from what Epic they're trying is to lower trying fees. To do, they're though. trying to lower fees. Okay, that's. I think that's part of it. And you're saying it doesn't matter. This is they're not paying fees on the desktop. Wild. Like I don't understand what you're talking about. Like it's not like this is they're playing Epic Games on their on their iPhone. You, and you know that a- Epic is suing Apple, right? Whatever. So this is all about that. This is all plays into. I think that's trying- that, uh, that's part of it. But I think that Epic in the creation of the metaverse and what happens inside games right wants to be wants it to be much more than just the interactive content and they're trying to tie everything together and music is a part of that and selling music in their store kind of moves things in that direction that's kind of like just take a step back I, I think that fighting over you're saying specifics, don't overthink it. Yeah, you're overthinking it a little bit and fighting over the specifics of, yeah, you could get Spotify elsewhere. It's more symbolic of what Epic itself sure. is trying to do. That's fine. So you're ultimately using them to change what how people consider your store. That makes sense. They're just not, not going to be a lot of downloads. <laughs> That's right. And I don't think that there's no financial incentive on either side. Right. But I think this can be a a bellwether for other applications coming into the store that aren't just games as we know. Sure. It's like them pointing to the other apps to come in. That makes sense. Yes. Let's talk about Dish. Oh, Dish. It's It's your second favorite topic, Walt. (laughs) Well, this this week, this week in Dish. Ben Simmons the first? No, that's that's my favorite topic. They better not trade Ben Simmons, even for that fat fuck Harden. This week okay. in Dish. So this week's episode of Dish had them raising $2 billion in a convert. If you remember in a prior uh, podcast, we went after one of our peers uh, for downgrading the stock on the theory like, oh, they're not going to get a strategic investor. And then we played a nice quote from Tom Cullen, I think. You know, saying just that in February that, yeah, we're not getting strategic capital until we show people what our new network can do. So raising $2 billion sent the stock down um, bigly. Part of this, I think, was um, was maybe a concern that this C-band auction is ongoing and that DISH would, would be playing a role uh, in the C-band auction. Um, you know, but I think there, there was also some indication that maybe you know, in, in raising this capital that this $10 billion figure that dish was kind of tied to, to build out the network might not be as high. Um, the other bizarre thing about this is like, okay, is this, let's assume that someone somewhere is now surprised that dish is actually building the network. And maybe that was another reason for the thing for, for the stock selling off. Why weren't tower stocks up? I mean, tower stocks, you know, yes, there's kind of flow of funds out of REITs and rates and all that other stuff. But like, okay, if you have dish coming in, raising $2 billion and you think this is adds credibility and maybe the stock going down to them spending money on building a network, that's theoretically positive for towers. And then going back to your earlier question, Rich, when you were asking about T-Mobile, like who else benefits from the C-band auction and from this, it's going to be the tower companies. Like there's a shift to mid-band spectrum being the mechanism by how, uh, you know, how um, these companies deliver 5G. So it's just a fascinating kind of turn of events. The the other kind of interesting thing about Dish, I don't even know if we have this racked up, but like, 
you know, this was the same time that, you know, what's about Fubo TV was like zooming up. Are we, are we, are we I, can, I can jump to that. I can jump to that. Hold on. Let me get that slide up. We, we can we, just call an audible. I love it. Call an audible. So, so this is, let me just this describe was, this for everyone. Let me, yeah, let me ahead, just set Rich. the tables for this. So we've got a slide up here from antenna TV. Uh, it shows sign up market share. So this is basically gross edition market share across the VMVPD marketplace. And what's sort of fascinating here is that you see uh, Fubu TV, which was essentially it's not irrelevant. Fubu, Rich. Fubo, Fubo, whatever. Fubo. This Fubo. isn't the nineties. You got know, You got to You got to stop. What was Fubu again? That's a, a sneaker. You can't right? take it. I can't take it. Can't I'm literally going to pop up. I'm going to pop for up. All his mispronunciations. <laughs> yeah. At least I can Pokemon. call you. Yeah, I'm going to figure out another name nah, for you. Nah, you're by not, the way, so I now you're stumble not that over. Quick, Rich. By the way, I don't know if you've noticed this, but I called Jason by his first name now because Rich has me so confused in how to pronounce, pronounce his last name. I'm afraid to even say it. What, what is it, Brandon? What's the proper pronunciation of Jason's last name? I don't even know name? anymore. Is it? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> now Kylar. I'm so confused. Kylar. It's Kylar. Because of, because of all of Rich's mis mispronunciations, I can't even remember what's right anymore. It was better is when it? he was it was better I when he was mispronouncing know. it because then we could know to just to do the opposite. Now I'm confused about what's right or wrong, so I only refer to him by his first name. <laughs> so in the in the first half of the year, basically, Fubu was essentially he mid to high. It. He did it again. Holy shit. I did that on purpose, not for you. You did, I did not. For, I did. I, I did. Because I, really I, could, did. I could tell by I the did. way you're kind of like face like bent as you were like getting back into it. <laughs> so they were roughly mid to high single digit percentage of market share of gross ads compared to, you know, 20 to 30, even up to 40 percent for YouTube TV and Hulu Live. What's fascinating is how they've grown to basically two thirds the gross ad market share in the last couple of months. 17% in September, 18, 19% as of November. So they're, you know, they're can becoming I a, a, can I yeah, ask a ahead. question, Rich? Can I just interrupt you for just a second? Yep. How much has their marketing grown and how much is there? We don't know that yet. Grown? So we don't know that yet. We're going to obviously in, see in, that in, when they in report. In that time period, right? Well, and what is the churn look like of these? They're obviously taking on a dramatically higher percentage of subscribers on the gross ad side. What does the churn look like? I think that's going to be a huge question for the next couple of quarters. I'm sure the churn looks okay right now when we're in the middle of football season. So it's but like, I want to go back to Walt's question yeah. right now. The company has a market cap as of right now, it is a $5 billion market cap, which would mean that stock up seven and a half percent as we talk right now, but, but sling, which dish owns, would be worth twenty to twenty-five billion based on their market cap or value per subscriber. Let's right get now. some. Let's get Fubo. You start. Fubo has four hundred and fifty-five thousand <laughs> virtual MVPD subscribers. Okay, valued and at has, five billion dollars, and has a five billion dollar market cap. So that's. Uh, I don't know. It's so to all of our insane. listeners 10, out there that stuff. that are that are maybe in ownership of a SPAC, then maybe this is something you should take a look at. You think Charlie would part with this, or maybe wrap it into a Dish DTV thing? Throw Fubo in there, have that be the the headliner, and have that drive the valuation. Well, that's a great Probably point. Well, you just brought, well, hold on, you, for, you just brought up Directv. Wait, you just brought up Directv. Directv has what fifteen million subscribers. 
So what is that? And we're talking about, like about a, a what, $15 yeah. billion dollar valuation <laughs> on the takeout of DirecTV. Yeah, but Rich, couple of, couple of, oh, I, but those are not but gambling. DTV like now subscribers. Isn't that what someone said at you on the Twitter? They are not all DTV now subscribers. <laughs> but, um, In fact, only a very small amount of them are actually DTV now subs at this point. Still has more subscribers than I know. Ubu. It's a, it's a joke. That's why we started with "Don't believe the hype," um, which is just applied to so many things this week. But it, it look, it does I, highlight I, I that there's a lot of value being attributed it. to the VMVPD business. And if that value is really there, I mean, if if Hulu Live is really worth you know forty billion dollars, or YouTube TV is worth thirty billion dollars. Everybody should be looking about how they separate these this, businesses. This also goes back to the decision of HBO to drive subscriber numbers at HBO Max. I mean, this is, you know, it's totally it's, different it, businesses. Though. I get it. But it's a <laughs> it's an investors looking at metrics, right? Of They're looking at subs, KPIs, looking at yeah. subscriber and, growth. The, yeah. and the KPIs now right. subscribers. They don't and care. That, about that's what I realize. Economics and the fact that Fubo is saying that on their two minutes an hour of connected TV ad space that they're going to get $20 per sub per month when Hulu right now with all of their infrastructure is getting what a little less than $10 per sub per month. They're selling a dream that and the fact that they bought a sports betting company out of YC for probably single digit million dollars and the stock went up 15% that day is selling a dream rather than a reality. Selling a dream, otherwise known as investor narrative, which is getting driven right now yeah. by subscriber metrics. I mean, yeah. okay, that's the market. Look, D Disney just had the two worst qu quarters in the company's entire history. And subscriber numbers, forget about ARPU or profitability, don't matter. It's all about subscriber the growth. Story. The story. I, I get yeah. it. But there's a very wide difference between Disney and what they <laughs> have as they attack their opportunity. And the four hundred and fifty-five thousand subs that Fubo has. You Let's talk Disney, about India. By the way, hold on. Do you think Disney got any margin on my merch, my uh, Mando purchase? This was actually a gift from a friend of mine that we have watch parties for Mando. Yes, watch parties. Socially distanced watch parties. Nerd. No, Disney Plus allows you to actually connect no, no, and I sync know. up. I know, your, I know, I know. But it's actually you are terrible. A nerd, though. You're a nerd. Yeah, that's fine. I accept okay. it. Mando's great. Brandon, can you walk us through India? Yeah. So. Brandon Thurston, who um, has an sort of excellent blog for for everything WWE related, tweeted this. Uh, I am John Pollock, and I have learned WWE will be launching an NXT India program. It's expected to begin taping in January and to be broadcast digitally by the WWE Network and on linear television in India. And this NXT strategy is one of the things that I actually like about what WWE is doing right now, despite the fact that content isn't really going generally in the right direction, which is to build localized versions of WWE in key markets. And, and we still have no idea what the future of the WWE network is. Like we still have no update. We don't I like the we don't. I think that in terms of them selling the network or the content that's on it, that's probably a US first thing right now. So uh, I'm not sure that they're looking to to sell that content in India. I guess a lot of what's on there is available on linear anyway, including the pay-per-views and now this 
NXT content. So um, th that remains to be seen. But the idea of localized versions where you you get more allegiance to the brand and then can upstream those wrestlers that really hit into the main roster and keep a tight connection um, between local markets and the mothership all over the world is is a pretty good strategy in my view Rich, can we go back to that tweet for a second i just want to make sure that someone gets their due because the way brandon read that was I, he said he, you read it as like I am John Pollock and I have learned WWE when it, it was basically I am oh, John Pollock okay. and I meaning Brandon Thurston so Brandon Thurston <laughs> and John Pollock okay. have yeah. learned this in case Brandon uh, is one of our regulars which is possible okay let's sorry talk about, about that Brandon if you're so, out there don't want to offend oh. anyone with the name Brandon for sure so uh, I'm exactly. going to read a tweet from Turner Novak uh, Snap's ad network now includes video inventory from Unity. Uh, SnapKit also now directly integrated into Unity's game engine, which includes social sharing features. Bitmoji's coming in 21. And then from the actual press release of the news, there are games for all types of unique social situations and social groups, added Ben Sherwin from Snapchat. The SnapKit and Bitmoji integrations with Unity will unlock many new opportunities for game developers to reach audiences by allowing them to more easily share experiences with one another, while increasing visibility of their games. And so this just really seems like the two companies kind of fusing themselves together, Brandon. I mean, Snap reaches a young... Yep. Snap continues to become less insular. That's a theme that we've talked about continuously um, in terms of growing advertising. Uh, the Snap Audience Network, SAN, whatever they call it, will now have access to all of Unity's inventory, which is pretty substantial, to be honest. And... What I think what's most interesting to me um, it, in this is Bitmoji's integration into Unity. It's, we talk, we go back to those themes around Metaverse and how important so having your avatar across avata all of these games. Ex exactly. How important that is. I wouldn't be surprised if we see Bitmoji integrated into other platforms, whether it's, I don't know, Epic or, or somewhere else over time. Um, into Fortnite, but um i think that's a pretty important part to this and the other is just the ability to to promote these games on snap through ar kit yep just the whole integration of basically everything snap and unity do together and it's not I mean, what is fifth over, yeah, it's, over it's a pretty wide-ranging deal of mobile games right over 50 percent of mobile games in are unity and so this brings a huge swath of mobile <clears throat> games into that snap world of snap kit and bitmoji kit okay let's talk about sports betting some maybe some some surprising news i mean we we did a couple of interviews on light shed live earlier in the the year even during the middle of the pandemic. And Brandon, I, I, Walt, I don't think anybody thought New York State would happen for at least a few years. Does this finally mean I'll be able to bet on my phone? Uh, again, there's four casinos in upstate New York. What's your Indian bookie going to do, Walt? <laughs> I can't wait to Walt be able to, have to a bet. Bookie. Walt well, doesn't <laughs> have a bookie. That would be illegal. <laughs> this one's from the Action Network. It says, breaking news with one of those siren emojis. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo indicates he's open to legalize mobile 
betting. And we and, all know and cannabis about, too, right? And cannabis. We all know Let's about. Let's just be clear. Seems like a which good is, combo. Which is a, <laughs> I think cannabis is probably a bigger revenue opportunity overall for the state than is sports betting. But we all know about the budget shortfalls in New York State due to COVID. And we're going to need to figure out how to had to get some revenue with everyone seemingly leaving from <laughs> Miami. Well, everyone, according, according to the FCC, the, they've also been skimming the nine one one budget too. This, by the way, does everyone just live in Miami now? I feel like every time I get on a Zoom, the other person is feeling is a lot warmer than I am here. No, everyone does not live in Miami. But I will say we've had a lot of head fakes on New York and many other states in terms of legalizing sports betting. So yeah. I'll still I'll believe it when I see it. I mean, it's it you know, I'm hopeful, too. And I think it would be great for the ecosystem to have it legalized. I mean, we're actually we're going to do a, a small group meeting uh, with Better Capital next week uh, with David Van Eggman, who used to be at Barstool and FanDuel to talk a lot about this topic of sports betting, because if, if things like New York start to fall, there's been a lot of more speculation about Massachusetts. 2021 could be a very big year for the for the category just from a legalization standpoint in a lot bigger states than where we are right now we're talking about what pennsylvania michigan it'd be nice to have some of the the huge states come in to sports new, Jer- in new jersey's at the top in terms of yeah. handle and i'm sure that comes you know from a lot of people who cross the border. still sub 1 million people placing bets in new jersey and there's 9 million people in new I know. jersey so i know that that's you you do have to look at that and kind of like grab yourself on how big the TAM for this actually is. And I think sometimes investors do get carried away, um, but it's a great step. And, you know, there's a sports betting is, is, is a real market now. Finally. Brandon, what do you think about uh, Notre Dame Clemson negative 10 and a half for Saturday? <laughs> Okay, moving on. I'm a huge Notre Dame fan, but okay. I mean, Clemson. Okay, hold on. We got our last topic of the day, something What's fun. You know, we don't want to get believers. into Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. We're big believers that everything's going to get subscriptionized, or a lot of things are going to get subscriptionized in terms of the consumer. You know, we what was interesting about this news, and so it's a tweet from Sarah Fisher of Axios saying Vice is putting food porn on OnlyFans. <laughs> it's the company's second foray into any sort of direct to consumer subscription revenue. If successful, it will launch other content verticals on the platform. And uh, they're actually shout charging out to, for- sa- shout out to Sarah for using the term food porn to link it up into OnlyFans so seamlessly. I mean, amazing, like absolutely amazing. But we they're charging four ninety nine a month on OnlyFans. And many of you probably know of OnlyFans as a not safe for work site selling subscriptions. But we talked to OnlyFans a couple of weeks ago, and it's very clear that they're trying to move far more yeah. aggressively into, you know, safer work content, like more mainstream content. And we've seen certainly if you look at remember the old laser dicks and DVDs, like we've seen many times in history where not safe for work content, adult content has led the media space from from a technology standpoint. standpoint. Sure. You just said laser dicks, laser discs, discs, dicks. (laughs) He did not say that. I swear to God. Stop. 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 I can check the audio tape, but I definitely did did not. You you remember laser discs? Do you you have a laser disc player? Well, no, I think by the time. No, actually, I think we bought one and it never we never ended up using it because it, it, it just worked in the Xbox too, right? 
or am I confusing what was what? I don't know. It was Definitely different. Not. It was a much bigger. It was a huge CD. Remember. Was the old Laserdisc. But look, bottom mm-hmm. line. OnlyFans is something interesting to watch as a trend. Creators monetizing themselves directly. I'm telling you, OnlyFans is going to be a big story of 21 as they go more mainstream. We're already seeing people like Cardi B start what to does monetize. This mean, what does this mean for Patreon, Rich? You know, I think OnlyFans is just becoming a much bigger business. That's my guess. It's just really easy. Like, if you ever tried to use it, not that I've used it for its legacy use cases, but it's okay, a very sure. simple... Laser it's a very simple. <laughs> okay, it's, that's episode. That show isn't, notes. Isn't, it, it, Hold on, if we put that in the show notes, it's no. not going to get through people's email spam no. filters. No. So we, we are we are wrapping. Richard wrapping episode thirty. Dick is we're short ra- for Richard. Dick we're, Greenfield. We're Laser Dick Greenfield signing off. <laughs> Have a great weekend, everyone. Bye. Go watch the Mandalorian, Walt. <laughs> 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 <laughs>